All right, we're going through um, Colossians, so I'll ask you to turn there in your Bible. Colossians. Chapter 3, and this morning I'll read from verses 9 through 11. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. This morning I'm going to speak to you about one sin. We'll spend the whole time on this uh, one sin. And it's the sin of lying. It's the sin of lying. Um, and actually this is going to be um, part one. So there will be at least one more on the sin of lying. And, and it, it is actually a sin that deserves the attention deserves the special uh, attention because it is such an important responsibility of a Christian to avoid lying, to avoid speaking falsehood. If you're a disciple in Christ and a growing disciple in Christ, then you're going to be growing away uh, from lying, this sin of lying and uh, a speaking truth. So it has a, a special place in the life that we're setting aside, the life that we're running away from and uh, avoiding. Um, so, so far in this uh, description of the responsibilities of the Christian life that shows up in uh, Colossians chapter 3, we had a group of five sins. Paul begins with those that have to do with lust. That's in verse 5. And then it was followed by a group of five more sins to put to death, to put aside. And those were all uh, sins associated with anger. And so sins associated with lust, and sins associated with anger pretty well traced out the life of sin. The, the, uh, the old life, the old you, what you were before you were saved, before uh, Christ met you and uh, saved you. And it's a self-centered life. It's a life of lust, a life of anger characterized by those kinds of things. Uh, a life, it's just all about you. It's uh, turned inward towards yourself and the, the joy of the Christian life and the adventure of the Christian life is to turn that in all that that's directed inward and turn it outward towards others like Christ himself. And that's uh, the new nature. But anyway, those those ten sins that were to put off, that were to put to death, is followed not by another group of five, but by one sin. And so he says when we come to verse 9, do not lie to one another, just one. Uh, for this one, he dwells on it for a little bit and talks about why that is so unfitting for a Christian. So just one sin, not another group of five. But in a way... It's a summarizing sin. Lying. It's a summarizing sin. The, the other two groups of five kind of traced out the self-centered life, and then it's summed up with this one, which is lying. And in fact, looking ahead, when we get to um, the traits and the characteristics of the new nature, this summarizing sin seems to have a counterpart, because uh, Paul's going to speak of another group of five, this time five virtues that we're to be putting on in the Christian life. That's in verse 12. And then he uh, summarizes it. He follows it by one trait. Verse uh, 14, beyond all these things put on love, which is uh, the uniting bond of perfection. And so love unites the new life, uh, unites all those things. And uh, the new life, it's, it's the summarizing virtue, summarizing trait of uh, the new life. And I think perhaps we could say the same 
or similar about lying. It's the uniting bond of perfection to the old life, to all of the sins of the old life. They're uh, summarized in um, lying. Or uh, perhaps you could capture the whole Christian life of putting off and putting on with this, that uh, the Christian puts off lying to put on love. And maybe with that net, you'd catch the whole thing of everything that we're seeking to put off and uh, were to uh, put on. So lying, lying. Um, I think it's safe to say that the Bible takes lying more seriously than the world does. Um, the world talks about lying as a, usually a bad thing, but uh, often not that big of a deal uh, to tell a lie here or there. Might get you through a tight spot if you need it. Might smooth your way. And so um, people talk about a white lie or a, a fib or a, a stretcher. You know, it's something that uh, deviates from uh, the truth, but it's it's probably not that big of a deal, not something to really wring your hands uh, about. That's not the way scripture speaks about lying. Uh, scripture speaks of lying as something that is not small. Sin entered the world through a lie of Satan about God's word. So he started questioning God's word. Has God really said that if you get it from this tree, you're going to die? And then uh, after questioning it, just came the outright lie. You shall not surely die. And through that lie, sin and death entered through the world and all the grievous uh, consequences that we see in uh, the world uh, around us. Satan is uh, the father of lies. It's his nature to lie. So scripture says that Satan does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what the Lord said about um, Satan. He's That's a characterizing sin for Satan. It's, you know, Satan does lots of evil things, but that that's the thing that he's most known for. He's the father of uh, lies, uh, according to the words of uh, the Lord. Lying is a companion and kind of a completion of other sins. You get involved in sins, you get involved in lying as well. So Cain uh, murdered his brother and then lied about it to God. God came to him, where's your brother Cain? He said, I don't know. I don't know. Am I my, am I my brother's uh, keeper? And so that uh, completed uh, uh, the sin that Satan did, the sin of murder. It was uh, completed by lying and uh, characterized by, by uh, lying. Um, a sampling, and, and it's really a sampling because there's so much in scripture about uh, lying. I just wrote down some of uh, passages that give God's perspective on uh, the sin of lying. Uh, Proverbs 12:22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. It's pretty clear. But those who deal faithfully are his delight. Uh, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 lists seven things which the Lord hates. And uh, two of them have to do with lying, a lying tongue and a false witness that other utters lies. So God hates lying. God hates lying. People might be sort of ambivalent about lying. Well, it's maybe sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. Uh, but God is clear uh, that he hates uh, lying. First Timothy chapter four talks about lying and deceit character increasingly characterizing the end times. And I don't think this is the only passage that speaks uh, of this. The spirit explicitly says in later times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with uh, branding iron. Um, 
Scripture specifically mentions liars populating hell. And that can be kind of a shock to people. Uh, If people do have some idea of hell, they sort of think of the worst sinners only going to hell. You know, people like Hitler or somebody like that. Um, they, They think of it as a pretty exclusive club of the worst sinners, and that's not the way in which uh, Scripture uh, speaks of hell. So uh, Revelation 21.8, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so it mentions the sins of the people that are there in hell uh, for all eternity, and it especially mentions liars. And uh, there's forgiveness for all of those sins. But if they're not forgiven in Christ, they all deserve an eternity in hell um, as well. And so that's why they're mentioned uh, there. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the heart produces um, lots of evil things. The human heart, that's how we're born. Um, it, it says in scripture that uh, the wicked go astray from birth, speaking lies. But uh, above all else, the, the heart is known for deceitfulness, deceitfulness. And that's what comes out of uh, the human heart. That's what we have to be saved from is uh, a heart that uh, loves deceit, loves lying, uh, loves uh, falsehood. And I would just say from ex- from some from experience that lying is, is an especially destructive sin. Um, lying erases you. More than, even more than other sins, even more than other very grievous sins, so that no one knows who you are. No one knows what you think, and pretty soon you lose sight of who you are as well, uh, when you're, uh, lying. And so even, um, you know, marriages that are, that deal with, uh, really terrible problems like money disappearing or infidelity or something like this, if there's lying on top of it, it makes it all a thousand times worse. And it's actually, it's, it's the worst part of, uh, what, what is, um, wrong in the marriage if there is uh, lying. So um, Christ can set you free, of course, from these things, um, but uh, it's an especially destructive sin. So here's the command, the command uh, that we have in uh, Colossians, um, and it says, do not lie to one another. Uh, so there's the command. It's followed by two reasons why lying is so wrong, why lying is so unfitting for the Christian. And the first reason has to do with the individual, with uh, the Christian. And that's in uh, verse 9 and verse 10. And then the second reason has to do with the community, uh, the church. So the first is why it's not fitting for the Christian. And the second is why it's not fitting for the church. And that's verse 11. And I'm only going to get to the first reason um, this morning, um, we'll get to the, the, the other reason why, why lying is not fitting for the church next time, Lord willing. And I, I think I'll get into some more practical details of, uh, lying, uh, next time and why truth should characterize the way we speak to each other in church, not evasion, not subterfuge, not flattery, not disguised speech, not saying one thing and meaning another, not passing along a lie because you're afraid to uh, speak the truth. But the church should be a place of clear, open, direct, and honest uh, communication. And so we'll get into that um, next time when we talk about why lying is so unfitting in uh, the church. But uh, this morning is about why lying is so unfitting for the Christian, looking at him as an individual. And really, I have 
one point, or that's at least the way I think of the rest of my sermon, is just having basically one point. Um, and it's a point that gets to the heart of God's character, and that is that why truth-telling, rather than lying for the Christian, is fitting for the Christian because it fits the character of God. So that's really my point for the rest of, of, the, of the message. Um, truth-telling traces all the way back and relates to the character of God. And so it's, it's going to talk about that. Do not uh, lie to one another. I'm going to talk about um, the Christian and how the Christian, and especially the new self, is related to the character of God. That's why you shouldn't be lying to one another, is because ultimately it's because of the character of God. Now let me say a little bit about the old self and the new self. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who uh, created him. Um, the word for self, in my translation, it's, it's literally the word man. It's the word anthropos. You might know that word or words related to it. Um, it means a man, not, not necessarily a male. So you could say it's a person. Um, and so this could be um, the new person. You've laid aside the old person with its evil practices and you, the Christian, he's speaking to Christians, have put on the new person who is being renewed to a true knowledge. And so people use a, a number of terms for this. They call it um, the new man the new and the old man or the new self and the old self. New nature, the old nature, I think it all comes from this. It's the new you and the old you. And I think people even use um, kind of a play on words. They Sometimes people speak about the old Adam and uh, Adam in Hebrew means man. And I, I think it's kind of a play on words. Um, and also together with what scripture teaches about our, our, um, standing in Adam and our standing in Christ. But, uh, the old self, the old you is sometimes, sometimes you'll hear Christians call it, um, the old Adam as well. What is the relationship between the old you and the new you for a Christian? If you're not a Christian, you don't have to worry about this because there is, it's just the old you. That's it. Uh, but if you're a Christian, what is the relationship between the old you and the new you, and he talks about this, um, you have put aside the old self um, with its practices. As a Christian, this is why you shouldn't be lying. Um, and you have put on the new self. That's, all that seems past tense, but there's something happening now with the true self. The, truth, the, the new self is being renewed according to a true knowledge. So what is the relationship between the old you, the old self, and the new you, the old nature and the new nature for a Christian? And it's a, it's a hard question uh, that pastors explain in different ways. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I did last time, I think. I think I maybe even did the time before that. So uh, I'll just remind you of what I said uh, then. And this is not the way, it's not the only way that good Bible teachers have understood and explained this, but this is what makes the most sense uh, to me, uh, is that for the Christian, the old self and the new self relates the same way that uh, night relates to day at dawn. And that is when the first rays of the sun at sunrise send a shaft of light across the horizon. As soon as it hits, you know that the night is over and that the day has come. And it's meaningful to say that the night is done and the day has come. Just as soon as that first light comes across uh, the horizon, uh, it's meaningful to say that because it's a good way to mark uh, the day. And it's also irreversible. You know, it's just going to get brighter. Uh, from that, it's not like the darkness is going to push out that light uh, once it's begun to shine. And so as soon as the light begins to come, you say the day has come, but it's still pretty dark. 
it's still pretty dark um, at that point. And then uh, time passes, it gets lighter, but it's still it's still uh, somewhat dark um, at uh, dusk. And so it, it's also the same in the Christian life. At the first ray of faith, it can be said, your faith has made you well, or your faith has made you new. Your faith has made you no longer old because that new life has come to you. But just as faith mixes with unbelief, and struggles against it in the same way. In a Christian, is my way of saying it, the new is mixed with the old and struggles against it. And yet, um, the new, the coming of the new is irreversible. So uh, it's meaningful, it's helpful to say, even now, before the battle between the old and new is over, behold, the new has come and the old has passed away. In fact, that's usually the way in which uh, Scripture uh, speaks of it. And this way it speaks of it um, here. Um, as well, do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you have put on the new self. And yet there's part of it that's ongoing. It's sort of like the day coming. Um, and yet the coming of the day is still ongoing. Who is being renewed according to a true uh, knowledge? So the new self, you have put it on, but it's being made more new. It's increasing. And I think you could say the same about the old self. You've uh, laid it aside. Yeah, but it's. It's also waxing old. It's becoming older and older as the new is uh, is progressing. Now, that's not the way that everybody uh, speaks about it. Some say about the old self for the Christian, it's just gone. It's just gone. It's not mixing with anything. It's just gone. Uh, but then they'll explain that there's a obviously a residue of the old self, maybe like a perfume bottle. The perfume's gone, but, you know, you can tell that it's still been there. So um, at that point, I kind of feel like we're, talking about the same thing and using different words because we all know the pull of whatever you're going to call um, the old self, that there's a battle um, that takes place, but there's a decisive victory that's been won too. Okay, um, so the old self, you've, you've uh, set aside the old self and have put on the new self who is being renewed, and that's the process uh, that it's going on, and it's being renewed into a true knowledge. And so the focus of this renewal that's ongoing, of you being made new, of you being more and more like your new self and putting on the behaviors of your new self. The focus of that renewal, as it says here, is knowledge, is knowledge. You've put on the new self who's being renewed in a process to a true knowledge. It's being renewed into a true knowledge. And this knowledge is a personal knowledge. So it's not just a factual knowledge. It's a personal knowledge. In fact, it's the knowledge that Paul prayed for when he first prayed for the Colossians. A lot of times when Paul prays at the beginning of his letter, um, it tells you what the rest of the letter is going to be about. And he prayed in Colossians chapter one, verse 10, that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the new self is being renewed in knowledge and it's the knowledge of God. It's, it's you knowing God more and more. That's what's making you to be more and more, uh, new. And this renewal in knowledge, knowing God is according to, it says the image of the one who created him. In other words, this renewal, you being made new by knowing God, it agrees with, it accords with the way man as a creature was always supposed to bear the image of God, the creator. And as you become more and more new, as your new self becomes more and more a reality in, uh, in your day-to-day, -day, uh, living, that's what's happening. You're becoming more like 
the image, what you were created to be, what Adam and Eve were created to be and did pretty well before sin uh, came. And so they were created in the image of God, meaning just the same as uh, what's true of an image of, let's say, your spouse. You can pull out your kids and you pull it out of your wallet. It's not them, but it's an image of them and it shares a lot of the characteristics of them. You can see the outline of their face. You can see what they look like. It's not three-dimensional. Um, it's just an image. And it's the same with uh, man. Man isn't wasn't created to be exactly like God, but to give an idea for the viewer. To see Adam, I think probably to see how he originally ruled over creation and say, well, I, I think I can see a little bit of what God is like. And you could see it uh, in that. And that image is beginning to be remade in the Christian as we learn more about God. So as you know more about God, you become like him in ways that are appropriate for a human being, for um, an image bearer. In uh, the first creation, we're created in the image of man was created in the image of God, and that was marred, not although not eradicated. So that now when you look at a human being in the world today as we're falling into sin, uh, it doesn't give a very good idea of what God is like, or look at the way we uh, rule over the planet, over the over the uh, earth. It, it's not going to give you a very good idea of what uh, God is like and the way he, he's ruled. It's broken, uh, but there's still some vestiges uh, of that. So that James says, be careful about how you talk to somebody because they're made in the likeness uh, of God. Uh, man still has a conscience because uh, of that image, which has been marred, but it's uh, still present. Man can dull that conscience, but can't totally um, escape that. But because of this new act of creation, a Christian can at least begin to successfully bear the image of God so that you could, you could look at a Christian and uh, have a little bit of an idea of what, uh, of what God uh, is like, and especially because a Christian doesn't lie. Because the Christian tells the truth, and you can see uh, something about God uh, in uh, that. So, so let me back up a little bit. This is the first reason why we're not to lie to one another. This is the first reason why the new you is not a lying you. <laughs> it's a truth-telling you. And the reason is basically because when you think of this renewal and how it uh, caused us to be remade into the image uh, of God, it's because of God. The reason why the new you is a truth-telling you and not a lying you is because God is a truth-telling God and not a lying God. And that's really important about uh, God. And so uh, the fact that a Christian doesn't lie um, matches the character of God. And as you know more about God and his truth-telling, that God doesn't lie, you become like that. You become uh, more and more uh, like that. We said that this sin of lying is kind of a summarizing sin uh, for the old nature, the old you. It's the, the leading edge of the old uh, life. Um, and the truth telling of God, God has made it to be a leading characteristic of him, as well as the new nature um, as well. He's made it to be a prominent character of him. Uh, truth telling is the leading characteristic of God, if, if you're going to come to know God, it's the first thing you're going to know about him is that he keeps his word and he's, God's designed it. He's designed salvation uh, to work like that. So it says in uh, Titus chapter two, in the hope of, or chapter one, verse two, in the hope of eternal life, 
which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. And so the way that a person comes to know God is hearing a promise of God and believing that God keeps his word, believing that God doesn't uh, lie. Um, God has determined that those who come to know him come to know him first by knowing that he keeps his word, that he's a truth telling God and believing that he's not a liar in what he says to you. That's what it means to uh, initially come to know God and put your faith in uh, him. First John chapter five, verse nine puts it this way for those who reject uh, God. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. That's the gospel message. If you don't believe it, you're making God to be a liar. If you do believe it, you're trusting that God keeps his word, that he does what he says, that he's not a lying God, but a truth telling God. And that becomes the portal to a whole new uh, life by simply believing that God keeps his word. So it's a really prominent part of the new nature because it's a really prominent part of God's character and the way that God determines that we know his character. So uh, Abraham came to know God by believing promises. And Abraham, he looked up at the sky. God told him something that was nearly impossible to believe about his descendants. He trusted God that God keeps his word, even, even something that was hard to believe. He trusted God that he keeps his word and God accounted it to him for righteousness. God accounted that trusting in him for, for being totally righteous, being totally pleased with Abraham as the opening to a totally new life. And then Abraham grew strong in that faith, believing that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And so it sort of undergirds everything else that we know about God. We know uh, from him that he is a uh, God who keeps his, uh, his word. So God is a God of truth. He's a God of truth telling to be renewed into his image is to be renewed into uh, truth telling as well. Uh, I want to speak a little bit about in my remaining time about God's relationship with truth and uh, the Christian's relationship with truth too, since ours is to be an image of um, his, because I, I think the Christian's relationship with truth breathes a very different atmosphere from the way you might hear uh, an evolutionist or a Darwinist speak about truth or what they know to be uh, true. Uh, and the way that they speak about truth is, well, I, I don't really want to believe this, but uh, I'd rather believe something more comforting. But I'm, I'm someone who heroically and boldly face the facts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I just believe uh, the facts. In fact, I've had someone tell me this and well, I'd like to believe like you do. It'd be more comforting for me to believe like you do. And he used to uh, believe uh, what I do. Uh, but he says, you know, I'm, I'm willing to face the truth, the hard reality. And uh, the reality of evolution is, uh, is a hard one. It's the survival of the fittest. It's uh, nature red in tooth and claw. It's a struggle for uh, survival. And so it's saying, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to tell the truth about it. It's a harsh truth. It's a harsh reality. And I'm going to uh, face uh, the truth, face those um, facts. That's not the atmosphere that a Christian faces the truth. Because the, the way that a Christian faces the truth is the way 
God understands the truth. And that's not the way God uh, understands uh, the truth um, as well. So how does God understand truth? God doesn't understand truth as bare facts with no meaning to them. Uh, and that's the way an evolutionist, if they're, if they believe in uh, just materialism, then that's all that exists. That's the only truth that they know of, whether they're right or wrong. And they're wrong about, uh, certainly about evolution, but they're, they're right about certain facts, a lot of facts, just about nature that they can be observed. Um, but they, they treat them as bare facts with no meaning. That's not what God, the way God understands truth. Truth is not just facts, facts that are accurate, but facts with the meaning that the Father has given to those facts. And so for a Christian to know the truth is not just to know bare facts, but to think God's thoughts after him. It is to think of those facts that are true with the meaning, the way they all fit together, what they all reflect about God uh, and his truth. The Lord Jesus Christ said about himself right before he went to the cross, he said um, about himself to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, what does he mean by that? Especially that middle one. I am the truth. What does that mean? I am the truth. Does that mean it's true that he exists? Um, no, he means truth finds its meaning in him, and especially in what he was about to do. He was about to give his life in an unheard of, unimaginable act of love for uh, his uh, children, for his uh, disciples. And uh, he said, this is the truth. All truth, every, all the reality, all the bare facts find their meaning in this act, in this one act. And so God put forth his salvation, not just as a sheer act of will that was separate from him, but as a revelation of his character, a revelation of his character and a revela revelation of truth itself. So that Christ says, I am the truth. The truth is a person. It's not just a collection of facts. The truth uh, finds its meaning in Christ. And Colossians itself speaks of that, how the, all things cohere in him, find their meaning in him. And then how all things, whether in heaven or on earth, are going to be reconciled in the end through the cross of Christ. And so this is why it says uh, for the Christian, the Christian doesn't just speak the truth, but speaks the truth in love. Speaks the truth in love. Love is the atmosphere for knowing the truth. Love is the atmosphere for speaking the truth. And certainly that's true for a disciple as it is for uh, for uh, the father as well. And so this is why a Christian is at home in a world of truth and not in a world of lies. Because a Christian knows that the world of truth, the world of reality, the world of the facts that they are, is a world of love. It's the world of the father's love as shown in Christ. I say that knowing that some of you are struggling with hard things that are true, that are real. And yet for the Christian to speak the truth about those things is to speak of the Father's love. Um, it's to speak of what we uh, sang. This is what a Christian should feel, not like uh, the evolutionist who just looks at harsh realities and is able to face them. But a Christian speaks truth from this perspective. This is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. Um, this is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And so we don't understand how it all coheres um, into his love. We believe it by faith in it. We've seen it. We've seen it in Christ. And so a Christian is not a stranger in the world of truth um, or an alien looking at something where he's not at home. 
uh, a Christian is at home in the world of truth and speaks it in the way that God speaks the truth, thinking his thoughts after him and being um, remade into his image as he speaks um, the truth. So uh, the meaning of the truth of reality is love. Love is what stands behind it. Now you might say, you might say, well, wait a minute. God isn't just love. The truth, reality doesn't just reflect God's love. Uh, there's another side to God and it's wrath against uh, sin. And so some of the things that are true, some of the things that are real reflect God's wrath and not uh, his love. Well, I know, I know what you mean by this. Um, God's wrath is a reality just as his love is uh, a reality. And for those who fall under his wrath eternally, it is an eternal reality of uh, his uh, wrath. It's an everlasting uh, reality. But God's wrath is not a reality that goes all the way back to the heart of his character. And so let me, let me say it like this. God's wrath exists because sin exists. God's wrath is his response to sin. God's wrath exists because his justice exists. And when sin comes into existence, his wrath is his response uh, to that uh, sin. But God's love exists because God exists. God's love exists because God exists. God's love goes all the way back to his heart. That's why the Bible says God is love. It never says God is wrath. Both are real. Both are real. But his love is really what stands behind uh, the truth of all the things that he is um, uh, created. It's not true uh, that if you take the experience of those who fall under God's eternal wrath and then take the experience of those who fall under his eternal love, that's us, and you put them together, you got both halves of God. That's not true. It's not like a, uh, a blind man, the, the, blind, the story of the blind men who are all looking at the elephant and they all have a limited perspective and you have to put it all together to get um, the elephant uh, itself. No, those who fall under God's wrath, they don't come to know a different side of God. Know their sin and God's wrath is an obstacle to them knowing God at all. They don't know God at all because of their sin and because God's wrath, his response to sin is an obstacle and it will be so for all uh, eternity. The Christian is the only one who knows God in truth, who knows God in truth. And uh, the God that he knows is a God of love. And that's what he is for all of eternity, love uh, towards us. So the Christian deals in truth, speaks in truth, is not afraid of truth, doesn't need to cover truth in lies because the Christian knows that the truth, reality, is suffused with his father's love. And so the Christian becomes a truth teller, a truth teller in love, not with a steely resolve to just tell it like it is the good, the bad, and the ugly, like uh, an evolutionist might uh, do, but with a heart that's melted by the love of the father in Christ. And so is able to speak the truth in uh, love. The Christian doesn't know how all the truth, the facts, the reality all come together as an expression of God's love and an expression of his love to you. We just know that it does. And we accept that by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Um, we can't always see how every aspect of the things that are true are an expression of his love that's hidden from us at this time. Martin Luther, and, and he probably borrowed this from others, uh, spoke of three different lights by which we see light of nature, by which you can see quite a bit. The light of grace, when you get saved, you can see more. 
like you can see that God's love stands behind all of the truth, all of the facts. You can't quite see how. And then the light of glory, light of nature, light of grace, and the light of glory. Those are increasingly brighter lights, and you can see more and more. And when we get to heaven, now we'll be able to see, maybe not all of, but quite a bit of not just that, all the truth, all the facts, all the reality that has happened to us are an expression of his love, but we'll see how when it all comes together. It's an expression of uh, his love. So uh, this is uh, kind of grasping kind of a, at a big picture, but I, uh, this is uh, a reason given why lying is so inappropriate for a Christian, why truth is the natural environment for the Christian. It's because the new self is being created, is being renewed according to the image of the creator. And the creator is a God of truth. He's a God of truth and his truth is permeated by his love. Even the truth of God's sovereignty, truth of God's sovereignty, which we believe, which we teach here, because scripture teaches it. Uh, Ephesians 1.10, God works all things after the counsel of his will. Even the truth of God's sovereignty is not just a bare fact that God controls all things and it's just a fact. It will be just the bare fact too if it's not suffused by his love. If you don't grasp his love uh, towards you, then you really haven't grasped his sovereignty. Uh, if you don't grasp the kind intention of his will for you in Christ, then you really haven't grasped the way that God works all things after the counsel of his will. So we're sort of back to where uh, we started, we started from, and that is speaking in truth, living in truth, not lying corresponds to living in love because uh, the truth uh, and love correspond with uh, with one another. So truth, it's not a uh, amorphous blob. It's not a splatter pattern, a random collection of dots, a random collection of true facts. Truth has a shape. Truth has a pattern, even if you can't see the whole pattern yet. And its shape is love. Its shape is the one who said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I'm the life. And he said that before he spread out his, spread out his arms in love to the world in uh, the cross. So do not lie to one another. We'll get we'll get more practical next time about what uh, that means. But lies are not fitting for a Christian because lies are not fitting for the character of God. And you, the new you, the real you, is being made new in his image. So next time we'll look at why lies are not fitting for the church. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you are a God of truth and that you teach us to be people of truth. And we thank you that the truth is not just a collection of facts, collection of trivia and bare facts, and that's all there is. But the truth corresponds to the pattern of your character, which is a character of love all the way to the bottom. And that you have shown us this love by showing us Christ. Lord, we pray that you teach us to live according to Christ, to live according to the new nature and uh, to live according to truth to tell the truth, to not uh, have falsehoods uh, of any kind found in our mouths, uh, but to be uh, speaking the truth, delighting in the truth, delighting in the truth, knowing that the truth will set us free because the Son sets us free and he is the truth. We pray in his name. Amen.